Hello there. Welcome to another Game Dev London podcast. I'm your host today. My name is Quang. I'm from Sobi Tech, and our guest today is Dugan from TikiPod. Uh, Dugan, would you mind introducing yourself? Hello. Um, yeah. Hi. Um, I'm a, a, a sort of all-round game developer, and um, I've been working in the industry about ooh, a bit over 20 years. Um, started off, uh, went from art college route to uni, did a bit of animation, and then got into doing edutainment games, and then around 2000, headed to London and started working on PS1 and more, more proper games, as some might say, because um, edutainment stuff never felt quite that proper. It was good fun, but it, it didn't feel like real games games. Yeah. I, th- I think back then, definitely, there was a quite a separation between education games and, and actual games back then. I think that line's blurred more these days. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and even back then, I think there was a, a version of Rayman, the 2D Rayman, someone had, um, I guess Ubisoft had done it, but um, it was like a, a kind of a poor maths kind of thing. But they'd used the art from the platformer, which was quite nice. Yeah. So it, look, it looked very slick. Um, and we, we were doing um, stuff in Lightwave. So it was all um, that whole era of late 90s, everything must be 3D, but <laughs> it was all 2D pre-rendered. You know. Yeah. Well, it was 3D rendered, but it was all 2D stuff in the director. Yeah. To be that kind of so, good. So the, um, I've asked you along today to discuss uh, how games from the past, how retro games uh, influence games today. Um, the good, the bad, I guess the ugly as well. Because um, with a career as long as you've had, uh, you've seen the industry change. And the mm. games you're making now um, have quite a heavy retro influence, I've found. Um, what's your current game you're working on? Um, well, we just finished Astro Aquakitty, which is a kind of a spin-off of Aquakitty uh, Milkmind Defender, which we did back for PS Mobile. I can't remember how long ago that was, uh, maybe 2014-ish, perhaps. I could be wrong, um, so don't quote me on that. But um, it was a long time ago, and we, we did iterations of that game for successive consoles and improved it each time. And then after that, we wanted to do something a bit different. Um, so the new game is kind of like a RPG light, with an ARPG, but it's not a very heavy RPG, but it's got arcade stuff in it still, but you explore. So um, it's not a quick, short um, arcade game like the old thing was. You can just dip in and download it. It's a bit, bit more involved, a bit more technical, yeah, and a bit, a bit, bit trickier to, to make. Um, but we, we kind of wrapped that up and, um, yeah, and so um, that's where we are at the moment, yeah. Which games would you say have influenced Astro Aqua Kitty the most? You okay, so a few, um, yeah, R Type, a few IRAM games. You can, if you if you play, you can see there's a few nods to um, R Type and Image Fight from IRAM. Um, yeah, they, they, I mean, R Type was a big game for me growing up. Yeah, same. Uh, coming across that was just it was phenomenal. The artwork. And the um, also there's the gameplay. Um, so many shoot 'em ups you play in the arcades were, were geared up to you know to hammer your coin uh, in your pocket and take it off as quickly as possible. Whereas uh, I always felt our type was quite fair. It was, you know, easy win, and you get access to power ups and things. And then um, sure, if you don't survive, you get splattered. But um, you could you could get by in that game with no weapons. There's a lot of arcade games. You know, if you lose all your power ups, there's stuff you try again. Um, yeah. So. Um, uh- yeah, so you say that this game uh, is a bit more meatier in terms of it not being just an arcade shooter. Obviously, R-Type is 
uh, one of those classic arcade shoot 'em ups. Um, yeah. What more have you had to do to to fill it out? So with this game, it's got um, weapon slots. You've got a whole sort of customizable inventory of items you can add, and they all have sort of different buff levels. So that um, your ship can be customized with two different types of weapon and four different types of devices, and the devices all have different properties, some which are randomized. So you, there's a lot of mucking around with different items, trying to get the right sort of balance of which weapons with which, with which devices, such as batteries or other enhancements. Um, and your characters on your ship too, you can start off the game and you choose two different characters, a pilot and engineer, and they have different skills they can unlock and they have different um, sort of initial stats as well. And you level up by blasting things. So you, if you pick up all the little weak enemies, you can, you can push up your XP level, you can gain stronger, more powerful weapons, and then go back and tackle the bigger enemies and stuff. Um, so that was a lot more difficult than the last game in terms of testing alone, because you've got so many different variables you got to retry and make sure nothing's breaking the game, and, and that was a big um, sort of QA. I wouldn't say headache, but it was a, a bit of a work. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's go back to where you started. Um, what would you say were your earliest and strongest influences, and what get, what sort of games were you playing, and what 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 games were leaving the most impression on you? Okay, well, definitely. Um, oh, there's, an, there's an arcade. Um, I came across years ago and that had some really cool stuff in it like R-Type, uh, Pac-Mania, Rampage was really good. Um, and then a, a swing pool we used to visit a long, long time ago. A friend used to take us to, well, it had sidearms, ghosts and goblins, um, some real cracking good old stuff like that. And um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough, to, I, got, I got into the ZX Spectrum quite late. Um, I was always sort of late with the games and consoles and things because um, it was cheaper that way. Once everyone else is getting bored of the things, you can pick them up cheap. And um, there's some great specky games, with, uh, again, R-Type, of course. Uh, but New Zealand Story, Rainbow Islands, they were all kind of first experiences on specky, which were yeah, pretty ugly when you look at them now. Um, but they played really well. They were really good um, yeah. to get into. Yeah, and, uh, uh, these games are... Um... I think the games you're mentioning are all arcade conversions, so they're like the arcade at home, and, and they have that again that arcade feel to it. So. Yeah, uh, they, were, they were good conversions. Obviously, you get a lot of awful ones uh, <laughs> as well, like a Black Tiger. I remember that being a fantastic arcade Capcom game. I think it's Capcom. Yeah. I think a Stunt Car Racer was fantastic. Another good one. Yeah. On um, both Specky and Amiga. Really good. Um, so. Yeah, for me, it's it a mixture of I think of, of old arcade games, which were quite a rarity because you know didn't have a lot of cash to splash in the arcade. Yeah. It used to be quite expensive, and then specky games um, were great because they had a few friends at school who were a bit naughty with their tape, tape copying machines. Um, yeah. But it was great to try things out. You couldn't, couldn't afford having millions of games, but um, um, and the Amiga was a great leap from Spectrum. In terms of color and sound, it's like wow, yeah. different worlds. Like you know, back in the arcade land, and games like Turrican and Turrican Two were real proper, you know, yeah. things that pushed yeah. the, the hardware really well and, and made it feel like a proper arcade game. Um, they were great too. Uh, yeah, Turrican's. I love Turrican. I never, I hadn't played Metroid. It's interesting playing Metroid after playing Turrican, seeing how they yeah, lifted a lot of stuff. Similarities. Yeah. Yeah, and not not quite as polished, but I kind of like the roughness of the first Turrican. There's lots of kind of. Um, Sort of wonky bits to make it feel kind of 
Uh, yeah, more unique, I suppose. For those games you played in the past, um, how would you say they've influenced your game design and, and how, how you make games? Um, I think all the stuff we've been working on um, more recently have definitely been influenced in some way. And part of it's economic because I when we've been making stuff, I've been doing it with friends. Most of our, I think all our products so far have been um, for TechiePod games, have been a basic core team of one artist, one designer. We both sort of kind of you know co-do design in varying degrees depending on the project. It's music and sound. It's a separate um, yeah. um, chap. And um, all these old games are kind of influencing in different ways. Oh yeah, and part, and part of it's an economic kind of factor because we've got small teams and we don't want to make massive games where we you know spend months and months and years and years making something that ultimately fails horribly. Um, so small products are good, and, and they, that's really good to look at these old games and try and pick things which work well. And uh, where possible, trying to optimize as well. It's quite fun taking a game from your, your youth and going, well, I really love that game, but if I play it now, it's not quite as great as I remember it was. But how about we modernize a few things um, to accommodate modern tastes and so on yeah. and so forth? Or make the game a bit more meaty. Maybe that game was great, it was an arcade thing for a few minutes, but you try and play it over the whole day. It's like, oh my god, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been nice. It's nice been having that sort of, I guess, background knowledge in your head already, and then trying to regurgitate it out and and uh, massage it into whatever form you want to turn it into to make it something new and fresh. I, I totally agree with you. Um, our game that we're working with, Mamma Castle, is a huge homage to '90s arcade games, especially mm. Super Scalar games. And we've taken things like um, Space Harrier and made it ha and had to think about how do we bring this to a modern audience? Because Space Harrier and a lot of the 90s arcade games, I say, were very quick blasts, um, three to five minutes play, and you need something a bit more meaty for people now to play at home and, and, and enjoy it for much longer. So you completely, I completely agree with you that there. That's cool, yeah, and I found a lot of things as well. The old games, especially arcade ones, they were designed, you know, to take your money yeah. as fast as they could. Um, so things like the Aqua Kitty, we changed it so rather than you having to die and start from the beginning, you just do a level at a time, and if you, you know, succeed, great, you unlock the next thing, and, and you can go off and do something else today because people's time is different now. And that was interesting making um, Iron Cryptical with Dave Parsons, um, which is kind of it's definitely his kind of baby that game. So he he knows the insides and outs much better than I do, like the technicalities of how all things work inside of the game design. But in within it, there are bits which are kind of nods to Rainbow Islands and um, Bubble Bobble, in the way that they have the um, the certain items you pick up in certain orders or the way you kill things. All these kind of underlying mechanics are triggering other things to happen, which aren't very obviously apparent. And with those old games, people would pick through diligently and go through and you know discover all these weird quirks. Yeah, the secrets. Um, yeah. But nowadays, not everyone has time to do that, so you have to kind of balance the game in a way that um, there's stuff there for people who want to dig, but those who don't don't feel blocked or like they can't yeah. have a good time with it still because uh, not everyone has time. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that. Um... What are some of the, the, the things of older games which are just terrible and they should never be repeated again? Uh, as you say, arcade machines designed just to take your money more than anything. Um, that's something I, I feel like that, that needs to be left in the past. Um, anything else you think? Yeah, um, definitely ones where you um, 
it's, I guess it depends on the context of the game. But one example is old arcade games where you go through, and if you lose all your your gear or your equipment and stuff, and the game then becomes impossible, yeah. it smacks it being badly designed because in theory you should still be able to do it if you've got the skill, rather than just being no, nope, yeah. sorry, start again, your, your money. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure about that question. Otherwise, I think it would depend on the context of the game or. Mm -hmm. um, I can't think of any any mechanic that should just go just for the or not mechanic but you know any aspect. Yeah, I I, I found with modern games now you usually get quite a quick restart now. Um, you don't have long laborious sequences when you die. Uh, you mm -hmm. don't have a life system life systems as well. Like they're not really a thing anymore. You you just get back into the action and you carry on where you left off and it sets you back a little bit rather than way back at the beginning of a level. Yeah. Yeah, totally. With the um, new Astro Aqua Kitty we did, we have that's very different. The old Aqua Kitty, for example, because the old Aqua Kitty is a defender, really, you type of shoot 'em up, and um, you had so many lives. And once it's you lost all your lives, you're out. But the levels in that game were very, very short and quick, so it kind of balanced out. I think um, it was acceptable. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the new game, because you, you're sprawling around these big, I wouldn't say I don't want to say Metroid, because it's not a Metroid game. It's all it's, it's big levels, but you go from one to yeah. the next to the next. You can't backtrack. Um, but you can explore around, and with that, um, so we've gone for a, a massively sort of scaling difficulty level for one thing. So if you want to put it into casual mode, you can pretty cruise around and not have a hard time at all. Or you can back it up to you know difficulty hard if you want that. It's equally fine. Um, but the health bar, you know, it will, it will regenerate, so you can go hide in the corner if you want to, and it will tick back up. Um, and those sort of things years ago would be scorned upon, like huh. That's for babies, you can't do that. Because that sort of attitude was, you know, it's got to be the hardcore. It's not a proper game. Whereas attitudes nowadays have changed. And everyone's like, well, you know, you, you play how you like. If you want yeah, to play that exactly. way, you play it that way. Otherwise, yeah. you, you know, there's no um, shame in tweaking it to your own you know, yeah. needs. Because again, you, you might like a hardcore game one day, and the next day you might say, well, actually, we've only got 20 minutes to play, so let's just do something different. Yeah, the, the, the main idea now is that hopefully they enjoy your game in one way or another. Yeah. I remember seeing an interview with David Braben once, uh, the, one of the, the uh, developers for Elite, and he, he was saying how they had quite a hard sell for the game because in Elite you don't have a three-life system, you don't have um, a scoring system, as it were. It's, it's a very open-world type game, and back mm. then there were that wasn't really a thing. So when they were talking to publishers, uh, trying to sell this game to the publishers to publish, they were like. So you don't have three lives. You uh, don't have many have this many levels. No, like it's open world, and I think obviously back then it, it was very much this arcade. You have three lives. You have this many levels to get through, and that's your game. Yeah, um, and that's the framework for your game, as it were. Yeah, I guess let's go back to the old system of you know we want to sell people what they already know, and therefore that's safe. So we just keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Um, I remember used to work with this guy, a really good producer, and he was telling me how um, he'd been banging on for years trying to do a Counter-Strike type game where you have you know, a few people in the arena and you both battle and if you're out, you're out, you just wait and watch. And people would say, no, 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 no one's going to want to sit around and watch other people play. That's ridiculous. And um, lo and behold, you know, things change and um, people are fine with it. Yeah, yeah. We, see, we see now, um, obviously, we have games like uh, Fortnite, and, and the like, uh, these uh, battle royale games where yeah. your arena shrinks and, and people are, and you kind of forced conflict between them. 
And who'd have thought that would have been the thing uh, how many years ago? Well, yeah, I mean, technically, I think it'd be people yeah. would have thought, you know, just how on earth do you get everybody to do a network together without glitching around the place? That's quite amazing. Yeah. yeah, I used to play yes. Team Fortress Classic years ago, and that used to be a lot of the game was kind of you thinking where you were meant to be whilst the game sort of catches up over a, a very slow modem and you suddenly appear in the right spot. You kind of <laughs> guess, you know, you have to count. You're, okay, one, two, three, I should be here. And ping, yes, I'm in the right place. Brilliant. And that's kind of wacky. It's half the game. Yeah, when you, the, the lag is built into the the, mm. the the logic of the game. Yeah, so you can still get there, but um, yeah, you might die as, you go, as you're traveling through space, who knows? Yeah. Um, you, you talk, so you talk about uh, the Spectrum being, uh, when your, was, it, was that your first computer you said? Um, well, we had, I think as kids, we had a, uh, a 2600 uh, yeah. console from somewhere. <laughs> Not sure. We only had combat on it. That was good fun playing combat. I love the combat. Yeah. You know, mini games. Um, Invisible tank bomb was fantastic. <laughs> and that one with the, the airplanes as well, fizzing around the clouds. Yeah. It was cool. Um, so we had one of those, then it broke um, for some reason. And then years later, yeah, the first thing I got, I think the proper computer was a Specky, a plus two mm. yeah. um, gray one. So I got it quite Same. late in the day of Speckies. I, I knew people already who had Speckies for years. and. Um, eventually got into it and that was pretty cool and i always sort of intended to do um art and things like i thought yeah i know i can get spec and i can draw games art and things and i tried to i was like oh my god no it's <laughs> tough this sort of thing just games machinery and yeah uh, it's uh, good fun lots because of... one of your games rock washers ha has a, a spec mm. graphics mode uh, yes it does and, that game started uh, off and, as a spec only i added the nez really? mode later on as a kind of a Realizing that actually not everyone likes specky art, and um, it can be a bit hard yeah. on the eyes. So for those who like it, there's a, there's a NES mode as well, which has a nicer palette. Yeah. Um, like, and that was a conscious design choice to have a specky look to it, or modern. Yeah, game. that was um, a bit of nostalgia for me because I love the, the specky, and um, it was also a compromise of time because I originally started doing it for a TIG source competition, and that was meant to right. run for a month. And I was trying to do it in Game Maker. No, actually, no, I wasn't trying to do it game maker. I was trying to do it with a friend who was going to help out, but then he didn't have time in the end to code it. So I ended up then moving into game maker to try and learn it. And um, Specky Art was great because hey, everything's like two colors. And um, I didn't do I didn't do a perfect Specky emulation. I didn't try and deal with color clash and stuff. It just kind of everything mm -hmm. can be two colors and I'll make it look Specky-ish, like ninety percent Specky accurate. Yeah. Um, and that was a nice fun way to learn game maker to do it as an experiment. Yeah, yeah. It was a fun game to do because everything was done um, without much planning. It's kind of like next level. What do I do? Okay, let's try and think of a new game mechanic. Add something new in. So it's not super deep, but it's, it's nostalgia-y and um, it's very enjoyable to do. Yeah. So if I remember, Rockwashers has had a few iterations. Uh, hmm. Director's Cut DX. Uh, what was the last one you released? Remember? Um, I'm trying to think. The first one was the Game Maker one, um, which was released later. That competition thing. Um, and then we did a PS Mobile one, which is still four to three ratio, where we kind of rebuilt the thing outside Game Maker as yeah. its own, because Game Maker didn't port across to anything back then. And then um, we did a yeah DX version, which is like a widescreen um, kind of like enhanced version for Vita and PS4. And I think it's also been on Switch, yes, and PC. Yes, I have on Switch. Um, so the game plays as a twin stick shooter. Yeah. Um, and 
I guess apart from things like Robotron and Smash TV, Twin, Twin Sixty shooters weren't really a big thing back then because obviously most most um, computers and consoles at home back then will only have one one D pad. Yeah, and it wasn't if you until... tried to use key to get those key flash problems on the spec stuff yeah. as well. And that, yeah, that was also a problem. And it wasn't until I, I guess the PlayStation DualShock controller came out, we had two analog sticks um, and things like that yeah. when when uh, twin sticks shooters became more of a thing, and we had things like Geometry Wars. Uh, and things like that. Did you find it difficult bringing um, these modern concepts and making it feel nostalgic at the same time? You know, it feels like these two styles don't necessarily mesh together naturally. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't actually think about that very hard. Um, I, it's not like I've been a big twin stick shooter fan. Um, I started off when I was trying to make the game, I was trying to work out a bunch of basic things like how do I move around and how do I go next to walls and I was hacking away people's sort of demos of game maker things and trying to work out, okay, how does that work? Okay, oh, I'm stuck against the wall here, so I then trying to work out, you know, if you touch the wall then do this so you don't get jammed against the wall. And um, I think as I was just mucking around trying to build it to get it working, it turned into a, a twin sticky thing. Yeah. Um, but it's not like a full on twin stick like Geometry Wars kind of chaos. Yeah. Arcadey fast thing is it's very slow and a bit more puzzly, mm, yeah, and more sort of story heavy. So it's um, you yeah, say that there's one level. What, you say that there's one level I played where you go through the levels and you trip the the trip. I guess these worms come and they just chase you around. And when you get mm. three or four of these giant worms chasing you, it's terrifying and it's very hectic. So there uh, are moments when it's crazy hectic. Yeah, it does get nutty, but um. It's, it's not, um, I guess it's not as balletic and kind of free-flowing as uh, Geometry Wars. It's kind of, yeah, it's very tight. And um, yeah, I forgot about that level. This one's at evil. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it was kind of cool, like I say, try, trying to design by not having much of a plan and just going through in every single level thinking, hmm, what can I do next? What can we do as a new mechanic to keep it fresh? So every, mm. every level has a new thing, um, like turrets that destroy walls that you can't destroy. And then later on, you can get the rockets to do what they were doing. Um, so it's, it's not super deep, but it's yeah, it keeps it in your toes. I find with um, older games, uh, especially arcade games, that they had only a, a small limited amount of time to to entice you in, and, and, and mm. like usually level one would be a strong level to open with graphically and totally. and, 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 and gameplay wise. Also, you need to be un able to understand how to play this game in literally in seconds, and. Yeah. Uh, games nowadays are so complicated. Um, they have like a million buttons you need to press. That sometimes they can be quite daunting in, in that. Um, how do you feel about um, where games have gone with complexity? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, my sister used to always hate um, games with more than one button growing up. She was like, ah, oh, is it too much? Um, and um, I think if you haven't grown up with that sort of thing, it's a bit much. And I, I'm finding as I'm getting older, Having lots and lots of buttons to remember is really a pain when you're flicking between games or you're coming back to a game you haven't played for a bit and you're going, oh, which button does, oh my God, the other thing yeah. did. You know, it's like going from Switch to PlayStation, for example, you know, your, your X and Ys and your A's and B's all flip around. <laughs> yeah. and, um, it always takes a while to sort of recalibrate. Um, so I don't know. It's a tricky one. It's If you've got the time and you've got the headspace for it, it's great to have all those extra buttons because you can do a lot more. Um, yeah. But certain games don't need it, some do. 
yeah, I'm a big fan of um, teaching the player to play the game by playing it rather than having mm. lots of pop-ups going, hey, stop, you've got to press the X button here to do this thing, or press the B button here to thing, and then the shoulder buttons to do this thing, and it, it breaks the flow of the game very much. So, And I think games yeah. are getting better at that these days. Um, there was like a period in, in the ninth, sort of late 90s, early 2000s, where it was very stilted while, while they taught you the game. Um, but yeah, now I mean, it feels like, like Metal Slug used to have a little, didn't they? Um, used to have little mini screens showing which button to press. Mm. Yeah, um, as an intro sequence kind of thing to it all, I think. Um, but it's nice to yeah, be able to be led through games now, and, and the ones that make it feel as natural as possible, so you're you're playing through it, not feeling like you're doing some kind of chore yeah. or tutorial thing that you, you know, it's like reading a manual. Sometimes people don't want to read manuals and understand what they're getting there, <laughs> but there's there's critical critical information you want it buried away. We had a problem with the old Aqua Kitty for ages. You see, watch people online playing videos and going, they're going, can you turn around? I've done something, turn around. No, you can't turn around. It's like, just look at the options screen. It tells you um, what the controls are. But um, we didn't hammer it. We didn't, you know, we didn't lay it on thick enough, I think. And yeah. um, it's nobody's fault. It's, it's people don't have time. People don't jump in. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think, in hindsight, we should have put something just really obvious on the screen um, or done some kind of, you know, in-game tutorial type thing that was um yeah not not in your face but i just taught you these things and that way people can get stuck they, they, they kind of got it later on but it's always frustrating watching it thinking oh no yeah man. yeah definitely uh play testing is a huge thing for me uh with mau mau castle we've taken it to over 60 events and each one wow. of those events we took it to it was a play test for us just to see people play it blind for the first time and mm. see if they could understand what they need to do and obviously in the early days we would see people struggling with things that to us are obvious because we made them and then mm. watching them not understand what they're supposed to be doing it was super frustrating but it means that we as designers need to go back and, and tweak it so it, it was easier to understand um i don't know how, yeah. how, how play testing has been for you yeah totally um i mean with um again going back to aquakitty I have a habit of making things too hard because again, it's, you know, you, you know your game inside out and you're, yes. and you're challenging yourself with the level design. So I, I try to, I kind of um, had to sit down and play it and imagine I wasn't for it. kind of a way to get, get myself into a headspace <laughs> where I'm thinking, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to play it as if I'm feeling a bit dopey and not really with it. I'm going to kind of move along a bit and go, oh, there's a bullet. I'm just going to nudge over here. And I'd, I'd do that a bit to try and um emulate someone who's fresh to it um because we didn't uh, we didn't do much testing on it at all with mm. our people we should have done but we didn't um but by doing that it kind of worked as an emulation um and i use things like the squint test of for, mm, for yeah. visibility of things i kind of squint my eyes together and go right can i can i make, make out the key things can i make out the key pickups and things and if, if things stand out strongly um with some squinting that's that's good enough for me it kind of yeah. you know, it's like a test for posters and marketing and things as well. You know, if it stands out, means it's standing out and popping out properly. Um, so people understand what, what. Talking about um, not being able to test very much, uh, were the games you made through publishers or were they self-published? So yeah, Aqua Kitty Rock Washers and um, Astro Aqua and Iron Cryptical, they were all um, self-done. Yeah, we just, we did it in our own time. Um, sometimes we were doing contract work at the same time, sometimes not depending on the project um 
So they were very much our thing, and we published them. Although Curve um, Digital helped publish the uh, Iron, the original version of Iron Cryptical, which is called Iron Fistical. Um, they, they kindly helped out with that on Steam, publishing that one. Um, um, yeah, and before then, I worked at other companies, you know, um, doing other contract work or, or working full time years ago in other places too. Um, but it's been quite nice being with, doing our own ones because, again, it's a, like a small team. It's a, in theory, a low risk project that's not too big and ballooning. So yeah. if there's not, that means that if it, you know, it does okay, that means there's a bit of money to split between a small number of people low risk sort of low small teams and, and a quick turnaround is kind of the idea because i remember used to yeah. read years ago all these wonderful articles in edge about hey there's this dev team they're all from such and such place and they're going to make this amazing game they've got a massive office it's all wonderful oh dear you know things are going to be wrong because you know you're just putting the eggs in one basket and yeah. it's um risky so yeah we're kind of low risk yeah i think as an indie developer you you find like you you get the the wonderful joy of being able to make what you want to make without too much influence or interference. But mm. you also have to be very aware of your risk factors in terms of how long do you spend making this game? How long can you afford to carry on making this game? Um, yes. And you have to look at the business side of things as well, not just developing. Yeah, it's very tricky. Um, and also the fact that with any game, you never know really how it's going to turn out commercially because you see you see wonderful AAA games that can come out in years mm -hmm. gone by, and they will bomb horribly. And they might get an audience later on in their lifespan, but at the time, it might not be financially when you think, well, you know, if that can happen to a wonderful game that's you know all yeah. top reviews and wonderful production values, then equally it can happen to any other game. Um, so, yeah, I think you need, always need a backup plan. Yeah. With any kind of indie stuff. Yeah, sounds like it, it's just one of the things where you have to be in a position where you can survive the game failing. Hmm. Well, I think so. Um, otherwise, you're yeah. Well, otherwise, you're risking everything in the basket, as it were, all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a difficult thing because at the same time, you've got to kind of make the the push and the leap to get the thing done. Otherwise, you'll never get it yeah. finished. So, so for us, I think it's always That's been a balance true. of yeah, trying to get the thing done, but also taking on contract work and stuff here and there, mm. as and when to make sure we yeah can keep on eating. And for, for you and your games, when would you say, do you know when your game is done? Obviously, it's never completely finished, but like I guess with any kind of art uh, of any kind, you have to release it at some point. When's that point? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's something you really have to push yourself to do, um, like with um, art on the tweak factor of always going to tweak things. And the problem is that the longer <laughs> the game goes on, oh, I'm bored of that art now, I'm freshening it up. Hey, it looks really fresh and new, great. I'll tweak it <laughs> and then you end up redoing everything 10 times. And that's very dangerous. So yeah. and with PS Mobile stuff, we kind of had a deal to get things done for launch. So we had a harsh deadline. And mm. beforehand, we've been sort of noodling around making the game, aiming to do it on um, Xbox indie games. The old XBIG stuff was the idea, because yes. we thought, well, there's a lot of rubbish on there. If we make something that's half decent, you know, nothing amazing, but if we make it half okay, then, hey, it might stand out well. And then PS Mobile came along, and we jumped into that and got it ported over to that. First of all, properly, um, so that gives a harsh deadline. And then Aqua Kitty is a funny one because we were lucky enough to do that on several consoles, and every console we put it onto, or we were able to iterate and improve things and enhance things. So it's almost like a patching before patching yeah. was sort of allowed to be because you know, yeah. years ago you weren't allowed to keep patching things because 
um, it would be expensive if you're a big publisher you'd have to pay lots of money <laughs> i think because all the server um costs and things whereas nowadays it's not, not you know it's an allowable thing yeah. uh, within reason. It's, it's, it's now expected now patching games yeah it's part of well, it's it. funny yeah like even um our type came out was it back in april this year and there's a yeah. pre-order for the new is it, uh, yeah, final two Artic um, final two yeah yeah, that's all. There's a pre-order for that, like the year before, on the Kickstarter, and I kickstarted it, but I just went for the digital because hmm. I noticed the um, shipping on the physical was like, oh, that's a bit expensive. Um, <laughs> and then when the physical came out, suddenly there's a whole ream of patches, which makes me go, ah, well, uh, I don't know. I, I feel kind of um, mixed feelings about hmm. um, the physical thing if there's a ton of patches. Yeah. In a way. Do you, do you think the the way of the physical? game release is, is a thing of the past now is that something we're obviously going away from no i think i think it's i think it's a good thing physicals um i like them both um i think um i think i'm a lot um yeah i, don't know, I, I like them both i think physicals are great i think it's really good to have a thing in your hand um and i think it's, it's great if, as long as everything stays connected to the internet and you can update things that's really cool too to enhance things I don't admit it's kind of weird just because I, I think I've, I've grown up in a world where you couldn't ever have updates. So for me, it's strange. But logically, yeah. it's a great thing to be able to update stuff and, and fix things as you go. Because um, years ago, you had a problem with, um, I think it was the Wii games or generally Nintendo games, but someone was telling me how it's always better to wait for the European ones because by the time mm -hmm. the European release gets here, it'll be later. It'll have loads of bugs fixed yeah. um, from certain titles. So, yeah, that makes know, sense. So, so back then, it was kind of. You might only get 50 hertz or whatever, but at least you've got some kind of fixes and things um, added yeah. in. But, I think um, yeah, but I'm, no, I'm, it's, I'm it's great. Yeah, I think so. I'm the same as you. I, I grew up in, in an era where we obviously went out and physically bought our games, our cartridges, our tapes, mm. uh, our CDs and things like that. And now I do like the convenience of digital games, to be honest. Like, I don't have to worry about carrying them, but I do miss the tactile uh the, the feels of it you know just having it in your hand yeah it's, yeah it's, it's one or the other i don't know <laughs> yeah totally um i think cartridges as well work kind of uh, i was never really into consoles at first because they're these hideous expensive things i could never afford yeah. um so i sort of looked at them from afar and um but that, i think it's really nice the cartridges and plunking them in it feels different to cds um well the cds are great like when the first the ps1 came out it's like ooh. I mean, for me, that was the first PS1 console. Yeah. Um, and that was really great to have this technological thing that can play music CDs. Wow. Um, it's a real step up. Um, but at the same time, CDs is kind of, uh, I don't know, not, they don't quite have the personality, I think, of a cartridge. Yeah. To me, it's a thing. It's cartridges with the stickers on and a big, more tactile thing you want to hold, whereas a CD, you don't really get your hands all over it and give you scratch it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was going through my Game Boy games the other day, um, and there's something quite satisfying of opening that little case up that they come in, mm. and uh, it, it's just the whole process again. And, and um, I don't know if it's just nostalgia. I was talking. I, I don't know how uh, the younger generation feel about it now, because um, obviously they've grown up in an age where everything is digital for them. And I know, like my Switch, I think 90% of my games on Switch are digital. I have a huge Steam library of games. Uh, again, all digital, um, so it's a yeah. weird difference, I think. Uh, 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 
part of my brain wants the old nostalgia, but part of my brain likes the the ease of use of the, the yeah. That's download. probably better for the environment, isn't it? I know there's yeah. a lot of server heat probably generated from all these servers, you know, up and running, downloading things continually. But it must be better than um, manufacturing thousands and millions of, of plastic sure. cases that yeah. end up in junk piles. And I guess one of the the big benefits of of the digital uh, digital releases now is the indie scene. Um, back then, to be an indie was quite difficult. You, you had to obviously manufacture either I don't know, I guess in shareware. You would make your own discs, you and then yeah. send the discs off. Or before even for that, you make your own tapes. And you had these bedroom coders and stuff making stuff, but there was a, a cost involved in that. Whereas now you can just upload to the server on Steam or Itch or Game Joe or you know, one of the, one of those platforms and it's there for people to, to play. Yeah, it's an amazing change, even getting onto consoles. Um, actually, I'm trying to think of PS3. I think even with PS3, it was tricky, wasn't it? For I don't think indies were really allowed on, unless you were especially picked. Yeah, I, I think it wasn't until the PS4 that Sony has taken indies a lot more seriously. Hmm. Yeah, so I know Xbox, uh, Xbox earlier on embraced indies, and now we have also Nintendo uh, with the Nindies, they're embracing indies a lot more as well in the last year or so. Yeah, that's a moving change. Um, that's great to be able to have that access to get into things. Otherwise, you'd have to be a giant company with a big, massive pot of money yeah. to sort of you know, get your way in there. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a very positive change, I think. Cause there's a lot of really cool stuff that we're well, that has happened since that would probably never have been seen before. Because um, even working at big companies years ago, um, I think if people were working on sort of some quirky little side project, a lot of the time it would be batted away if you're working at some yeah. big company doing a triple A Batman or something. Um, there's no kind of relevance. Whereas now you do see companies that are bigger going, hey, look, this little team's come up with a really cool idea. Let's develop it and, um, and release it as an indie thing because there, there will be a market for it somewhere. And um, like you're saying, the, the cost to release is so low, they can put it out there and it's great. They don't have to worry about yeah. printing loads and loads of units and then worry they don't ever sell. Um, so you've released a few games on Switch. Um, how's that process process been for you? Um, pretty good. Um, I don't think I can say technically much about the sort of back-end side of Nintendo-y things. Um, I think of course uh, things, but um, but yeah. generally speaking, um, it's been pretty cool to work on, um, and um, and relatively easy, yeah, um, to do. I think our first one was Aqua Kitty, and then we did Rock Washers, and then Cryptical came. I think maybe a year or two after that, and we just released a yeah, Astro Aqua, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I think with all the console stores, they're all pretty. Um, bad for finding things discoverability yeah sure. where you compare it to something like amazon amazon um which is obviously a much more mature system i suppose over the years because it's just been one store it's been evolving and evolving but they're kind of like if you like this how about this um yeah. kind of um i'm not sure how they work it out i guess it's all algorithms that do it um yeah. but on the games yeah game stores it's it feels very much like everything that's new gets a nice big flash for you know a while you'll get flashed up on the front screen if you're lucky um and then after that you have to be known about to be found you, the, the, you know you don't kind of go on there and go hey there's a thing just like these games <laughs> um so if that could be improved that'd be great but um part of the yeah. problem i think is also the format of the screen it's, it's not only 
having links to other products that are like this, um, but also just the way you, where you browse it. Uh, a lot of time I find, I don't know if you find the same thing, but I, I find it's difficult to, to browse things and come yeah. across things that you want. It's, it's yeah, tricky. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess yeah, again, that's that double-edged sword of having more people being able to release games means more games. It means discoverability is a lot more difficult. And yeah. What do you what do you do about that? What do you do to stand out? I don't know. I, I like I like the idea of the curator thing on Steam, but again, it kind of works well. I think if you have a small, um, um, a small system of things, a small number of games, you can have a curator who says, "Hey, I love." Um, uh, RPGs and I love shmups, and that each one has to have their little thing. And you go, hey, I go this guy or this girl, and they'll know the things that they like, and I kind of follow them, and that's all cool. But um, with Steam, I just find it overwhelming again. This is such a big vast thing. That, oh, how many curators are there? How many I actually know who's a good, bad one? I don't know. It's tricky. Um, so I think that's another problem with yeah scale of things. And when you've got this tiny little yeah. screen, even Steam, when you boot it up, you've got a tiny little window on the front you're looking at, of all, just a few games that appear on the front screen. And it's almost like you need some kind of virtual town or something you can then that can map things out. You know, so you can actually travel around like a Mario type world and see that there are certain things. There's the you know, indie skiing games in this corner of the mountain, there's the other games over here. And you can kind of then, I don't know, so organically somehow zoom into a map of things that might be a way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's not Wait, easy well, Wait for one of the the platform holders to nail that nail that problem. Mm. For people at home who are listening, um, if they want to know more stuff about you, where can they go and find information about you? And what okay. You're um, so we have uh, www.tikipod.com for our that's our game website that has uh, info about the games we've done. Um, some things probably need updating, but um, that's, that's <laughs> also has links to. Our Twitter, uh, which is at TikiPod Limited, T I K I P O D L T D, and that's why I keep most of my information sort of updated of, of things we're up to, or photographs of cats or whatever. Um, yeah, um, but most of our sort of update news is on Twitter, I occasionally on Facebook too. I don't tend to use Facebook much these days. <laughs> uh, I noticed that you have uh, a strong cat theme going through your games. Is that uh, intentional? Um, sort of, not. It's not like um, it's not some kind of overarching plan of like we must have cats and everything. It's just been kind of like, hey, they're cute. Yeah, put some cats in. Um, and um, I used to have cats when I was a kid, so I have fond memories of cats. Um, but yeah, there's not. I don't know. None of this stuff. It's not um, a conscious kind of like um, clever business plan. It's just uh, yeah. Oh, it seems cool. Like with um, Iron Cryptical, we kind of think, what should we do for the shopkeeper? I know. You see his cat. That'd be cool. That's quite fun. You see yeah. cat Michael Kitty and getting some sort of pirate earrings and things, and dressing up differently. Yeah. Well, Dugan, thank you so much for coming along and talking to us about uh, video games and game development. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, everyone at home, if you want to know more from us, uh, you can go to the Game Dev London website, gamedev.london. Uh, there's links to the podcast and things like that. Uh, thanks, everyone. You take care and you have a good evening. You stay awesome.